Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. TGIF U.S. stocks roar as jobs data bolsters confidence. We have the latest on the U.S. economic front. I was at the Department of Labor earlier this morning where the jobs number smashed estimates. Telephone rings. President Trump speaks with Vladimir Putin about the Mueller report. What else did they talk about? And what does White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders have to say about it? Meanwhile, back on Capitol Hill, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler is making a new request to Attorney General William Barr. But does he even care or is this all just a political game of chicken? We get the latest from all of that with an all-star panel, two friends of the program to guide us through this. Maddie Dupler, she's a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, as well as a former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference. Perfect guest to have on Jobs Day. And Luis Schiavone. 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 Luis Schiavone. I said it wrong on purpose. She's a good friend of mine. She's a journalist and a senior lecturer at Johns Hopkins University's Carey School of Business. Breaking news, this headline just crossing the Bloomberg Terminal, and and I I think I'm going to break it to both of you as well. CBS News is reporting that President Trump's former chief of staff, General John Kelly, has joined the board of a company that operates shelters for migrant children. Reading now from CBS News that, or or, um, right now, Reading now from the Hill newspaper, rather, that is reporting off of the CBS News report that he has joined the board of Caliburn International, the parent company of Comprehensive Health Services, which operates the Homestead Shelter in Florida and three other shelters for unaccompanied migrant children in Texas. This homestead is the largest shelter for migrant children in the country. According to a statement first reported by CBS News, Caliburn CEO James Vendusim said in a statement, quote, with four decades of military and humanitarian leadership, in-depth understanding of international affairs and knowledge of current economic drivers around the world, General Kelly is a strong strategic addition to our team. Okay, Luis Schiavone who teaches crisis communications at the John Hopkins University Carey School of Business. Didn't see this one coming. Well, what about this? I mean, it seems to me that there is really sort of an ethical challenge here, right? 
I mean, John Kelly joining the board of this company that operates the largest shelter for unaccompanied migrant children, according to CBS News. I mean, one assumes they are they've, they've got government contracts, right? Uh, I mean, this is not some great thing he's doing because he cares about migrant children. This is like a money-making strategic thing so that they can position themselves to continue to do business with the government. And they've they've reached in to 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 the former chief of staff of the president of the United States. And especially considering the identity of the president of the United States with this issue, it's. You know, you, I, I, I won't say this, but one could say this is disturbing. I think that Maddie Duppler, let well, me reintroduce you. Maddie Duppler, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference. Thanks for that, Kevin. I, I think, though, stay, taking a step back, this is the first John Kelly news that we've really heard about what he's doing post White House, correct? So. Also, I think keeping in mind the full scope of the federal government, it's almost impossible for officials like a John Kelly to go somewhere where they're not sitting on a board if they're getting involved in corporate life, post-public life, that has federal contracts. I mean, that's generally where the neck, a public service such as himself goes. Um, obviously, the, uh, the debate on detention and what's happening at the border has been a hallmark of this administration, so it's a little bit different than sitting on a bigger company that traditionally, you know, maybe like a military uh, defense company, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, let's see kind of what else John Kelly is going to do. I, pr- I presume this won't be the only thing he's doing post-White House life. Breaking news tonight, CBS News with the bombshell exclusive. President Trump's former chief of staff, General John Kelly, joining the board of a company that operates shelters for migrant children. Caliburn is the name of the company. Caliburn is the name of the company. They have added former Chief of Staff General John Kelly to their board of directors. In this statement from Caliburn CEO James Van Dusen, he goes on to say, quote, our board remains acutely focused on advising on the safety and welfare of unaccompanied minors who have been entrusted to our care and custody by the Department of Health and Human Services to address a very urgent need in caring for and helping to find appropriate sponsors for these unaccompanied minors. You know, as as I'm recalling this, or as this news is breaking, I'm recalling that it was back in April when there were all of these protesters outside of Homestead, Florida, of, of this, of this, uh, of, of one of the facilities. This is the largest facility in America that has unaccompanied migrant children in it. And there were these, these protests and, it, and they, they popped up on the news and a local television affiliate actually captured former White House Chief of Staff General John Kelly going into this facility. It, he was riding the back of a golf court, go golf cart and going on tour. And now we learn, I guess like a month plus, a couple of weeks later, that it's because he's, he's signed on to Caliburn. I, I mean, look, people are going to have opinions of this, but here are the facts. He's the president's former chief of staff. He's got decades long of military experience. This is, as Maddie Duppler correctly pointed out, really the first time that he's resurfaced in the news. But to do so in this way... I don't know. The optics, Kevin, I, I just really have serious, serious questions. I mean, looking at this uh, CBS News story, it says, located on several acres of federal land adjacent to an air reserve base. The facility 
is the nation's only site not subject to routine inspections by state child welfare experts. Teens sleep in bunk bed lined dorm rooms ranging in size from small rooms that fit 12 young children to enormous halls shared by as many as 217-year-old boys, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I think if I were John Kelly... I would like to know what the what the uh, what the price tag is on his uh, joining this board because, like you know, There's he is he is he is uniquely positioned to help this particular organization. But just because he is, and just because this is the first thing we're hearing about him doing, doesn't mean that it's necessarily a great idea for him to be doing it. We'll but, find out. He might he might be able to add transparency transparency or maybe even be able, able to be a better advocate perhaps for those children coming up we're going to have much more on this breaking news cbs with the bombshell president trump's former chief of staff john kelly joining the board of a company that operates shelters for migrant children that story breaking as we speak jobs day 263,000 jobs added to the u.s economy i want to know maddie duppler's take on that that's all coming up you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Thanks for spending Friday at 5 with me. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Breaking news tonight, fresh off of a CBS News exclusive, former President Trump Chief of Staff General John Kelly joining the board of a company that operates shelters for migrant children. Caliburn is the name of the company. Caliburn is the name of the company, and I have a feeling that we're going to be talking much more about that. Luis Giavoni is a veteran Washington, D.C. journalist. She now lectures crisis communications at John Hopkins University's Cary Business School. Maddie Dupler is senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference. Maddie, it's been such a busy economic week, but I do want to get your your follow-up to what we were talking about earlier about Caliburn and President Trump's previous chief of staff, General John Kelly, joining Caliburn, which operates the the largest migrant detention facility for uh, migrant children in the United States, in Florida. Luis had been saying that it's unsettling, and I am in no way endorsing the enterprise itself of detention and the unsettling uh, circumstances at the border. But I do think that the one thing that I think most of the country agrees on is that what is happening at the border is unsettling. And these detention centers and facilities are probably not in the trajectory to get any better. So to have someone like General Kelly on the board who has expertise in this arena, who has been on the ground floor of the policymaking that has resulted in this, I think at least augurs optimism for potentially improvement in uh, at least this detention center. Um, but more to we'll have to just see what happens with John Kelly there. All right. Switching gears, switching gears. It was I mean, this this story, by the way, broke like less than 20 minutes ago. So it's, it's, it's very much hot off the press or the interwebs, as, as we're going to say. But, I mean, this was a, a remarkable economic week. And, in fact, today, I mean, I started the day at the Department of Labor. Lucky you. Well, <laughs> covering the April jobs I data. used to do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, and it's, it's, it really is intense, especially if you're an economic television correspondent, because you're put in a – it's called a lockdown – and you're put in a room the size of a closet with the, with my two other 
respectable competitive colleagues at the other financial networks. And we, we, it's like taking the SATs because they give you this – they give you this uh, – the, the, you're like in this, the room the size of a closet. They lock the door, no phones, no devices. And you have like 25 minutes to go over the eco data and then go out to your live shot position and to break it. So enough about behind the scenes. Let's actually get to the news, which is 263,000 jobs added to the U.S. economy in April. That is smashing – Expectations. I think most economists predicted that it would be like 190 around there. Not even 185. 180, yeah, I mean, 3.6% unemployment. That's the lowest unemployment since December of 1969. And the number that really jumped out to me is the unemployment for adult women, which is 3.1% unemployment for adult women. Overall, unemployment is 3.6%. For adult women, 3.1%. That is the lowest for that for that demographic of adult women since when do you think if you know do you know maddie knows louise when do you think that's the lowest it set a record well, i i can't guess since 1953 mm. so this wild so this is a very strong strong jobs report maddie mm-hmm. And this has been a strong slash interesting week for economic data in general. Last week, we got data off of Q1 uh, in 2018, or excuse me, 2019, the first quarter, seeing that there was a 3.2% growth rate there. That was well beyond expectations. Most economists said that we'd be around the 2.1% mark. So also this week, of course, we had Jay Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, discussing the FOMC and what they see moving forward for the Fed. But he had made some comments about what he sees as underlying okay. fundamentals. Chair Powell? Correct. Okay. Uh, underlying fundamentals in the economy, one of, that, wh- one of which was confidence from consumers. That comes from the number that you didn't talk about in this report, which is the wage number. The fact uh, the that wage, we, we covered it on television. Okay. Go ahead. We can cover it now on radio. <laughs> to me, this Maddie is one, Dumpler coming after me on a Friday. I'm not coming what after you. So, come, so this is one of the more interesting stories, I think, of the economic expansion. 3.2% increase in wages from last year at this time. That is the ninth straight month of wage increases over three percent that show and this 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 is why it's interesting for years in this economic expansion we were wondering where the heck the wage uh, mm-hmm. growth was we were seeing all of this productivity we were seeing all this job creation but none of the wage numbers would budge and now we're finally seeing that breakthrough and the question is what does that do to result what is the resulting effect on the economy the other question of course too is that inflation isn't keeping up I was and why go. Do, and I, I find this fascinating so because we were talking about that actually in the lockdown we were like what the, the, this this issue of inflation because now only in Fed world would they do this. You get a strong economic data number, you get strong wage growth, you get strong raising uh, a, a jobs number, and everyone's like, uh oh, uh oh, where's the inflation? But there doesn't really seem to be ev- any evidence as of now of inflation inflation and i would also point out too that last year when we were starting to see the breakthrough on wages and we were starting to see a lot of these metrics really pick up the kind of grasping of pearls that that followed was always oh no that means the fed's going to raise rates right. now the that the fed is pausing and we know that that's not really a possibility in the near term there's a little bit of this, of this uh, exuberance that is uh, curious about the inflation question okay well you call, you're call, you're calling it curious exuberance. Yeah, wow. that is how I'm going to call it. <laughs> the S&P 500, well, they just they they rose the most in a month. 
off of what did you call it? Exuberance. Curious. Curious exuberance. exuberance. Here's how the S and P. trademark that. Here's how the S and P 500 index uh, translated your curious exuberance. It rose the most in a month, as data showed the labor market can support growth without sparking inflation. Can support growth without sparking inflation. You know, Stephen Moore is probably like, see that, <laughs> folks? We're going to leave it there for now. Coming up, President Trump chats with Russia President Vladimir Putin. What did they talk about? Panel stays, Luis Schiavone, Maddie Zuppler. You can download the sound on podcast on Apple iTunes app. Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out as well as my colleagues on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. We made it to Friday. We made it to Friday. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 at 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. News never stops, folks. News never stops. Wall Street never sleeps. News never sleeps. We're just getting this bombshell CBS News report that President Trump's previous chief of staff, General John Kelly, remember him? He's joined the board on a company that operates shelters for migrant children. And in fact, the largest detention facility in America, in Homestead, Florida, is owned by this company. Caliburn is the name of the company. John Kelly, now a board member. This reporting coming from CBS News, and it is reverberating as we speak on this Friday early evening. Meanwhile, the day began with positive eco data, the S&P 500 like it, uh, the jobs number smashing, smashing, smashing expectations in terms of the April uh, jobs report. 263,000 jobs added to the U.S. economy in April. 3.6% unemployment rate. That's the lowest unemployment rate since December of 1969. The lowest unemployment rate since December of 1969. And among uh, adult women, it's a 3.1% unemployment rate, which is the lowest for that demographic since 1953. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio Chief Washington Correspondent, here to guide us through all of the politics and policy of the day. Our two friends of the program, Maddie Duppler is a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference, and Luis Schiavone. She is a veteran Washington, D.C. journalist covering more than three decades of politics. She is a senior lecturer at the John Hopkins University Carey Business School, where she teaches courses now on crisis communications. Luis is also, and I would only know this as your friend, also is a horseback rider. Yeah. Are you going to be watching the Kentucky Derby? I love the Kentucky Derby, but, you know, there there is a challenge within the world of thoroughbred racing, and that is the health of these these horses. And there is sort of an animal welfare issue. You know, at the Santa Anita, 
there's been a, a string of deaths of these beautiful thoroughbred horses who, you know, people say uh, have been overbred. They drive them really hard. There are questions about the health of these horses. You know, it's not some straight thing. But I also want to say that the world of horse racing and thoroughbred horses and the horse world is the most – wherever you ride a horse, it is beautiful. All right. All right. Well, listen, uh, they say it's the most exciting two minutes in sports. Tomorrow is the Kentucky Derby. Listen, I'm not going to lie. As an avid Philadelphia Eagle fan, I hate to say this, but I think – my Eagles have had two minutes of sporting time that is more interesting than watching horses race, but I did love the book Seabiscuit as well as the movie. Be sure to tune into Bloomberg this weekend for live coverage of the 145th running of the Kentucky Derby tomorrow at 5 p.m. right here on Bloomberg 99. See, that's what I, we should be doing. We should be having mint juleps right, at that we've time. Ta- you know, well, I, you know, we're moving on. All right, <laughs> President Trump, I did the horse thing. All right, I, <laughs> I don't know who to bet on. Um, I don't even bet. Okay, President Trump. President Trump got a call today, or he called, they talked, with Russia President Vladimir Putin. Did you guys see this? I, I mean, it, it, they, they talked on the phone, and uh, the White House is saying that President Trump discussed, <laughs> of all the things to talk about, discussed special counsel Robert Mueller's report, and that Putin and Trump discussed this in a more than hour-long phone conversation on Friday. This according to White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who had a briefing. Let's play a little bit of that briefing from White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders on questions regarding President Trump's telephone call with Russia President Vladimir Putin. Here she is. I think he saw how ridiculous and silly that he and his delegation looked yesterday. Um, this has been an re- outrageous two years of accusations against the president. That's White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah Sanders. She goes on to say that the, that the two leaders, quote unquote, very, very briefly discussed the Mueller report which detailed a Kremlin-directed scheme to interfere in the 2016 election. They also talked about uh, a host of other different issues, including trade policy, Venezuela, Ukraine, North Korea, the nuclear arms control, and even the quote-unquote Russian hoax. That is from a tweet, a pair of tweets that President Trump discussed uh, earlier. Uh, and I do want to say that the that the soundbite we just heard from White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders referred to uh, Jerry Nadler. So, okay, Maddie, why were Trump and Putin talking about Bob Mueller? It, right. I want to know, before I return to that question, what was said about Venezuela. That, to me, is a much more pertinent conversation about current events, given the dynamics that we know on the ground there. Um, and here's why. Let's just catch everyone up to speed. The situation with Juan Guaido, which ever the international community is recognizing the will of the Venezuelan people as the acting leader of Venezuela, uh, and the situation with this dictator, Maduro, who's clinging to powder. Maduro has the support of Russia President Vladimir Putin. Correct. And, and uh, listen, I, I can't decipher what the president is thinking uh, with his relationship with Vladimir Putin. To me, particularly in light of the Mueller report, this could have been an opportunity for him to shift the blame and make Democrats start talking about the difficulties with Russia in the report rather than just focusing on Trump himself. I think this is, would have been an opportunity for the president 
to go with the core finding of this investigation that said that the Russian government interfered in the 2016 presidential election in sweeping and systematic fashion. That is not a bad thing for the president of the United States to punch up and say, look it, we are the United States of America. We're not going to take that. Exactly. And for him to do that in a way that was unequivocal, it would then force the Democrats who are saying this Mueller report's about Trump, it's about the president, to really be on defense here. Uh, And frankly, I don't quite understand why the president continues to take what I believe he thinks are victory laps on the Mueller report when you have, as we mentioned before, a stellar economy, ways that he could really be spiking the football um, on matters that matter to Americans who are going to be voting uh, next year. But if the Mueller report is going to be a point of focus for him, particularly on a conversation with Vladimir Putin, I 100 percent agree with Luis that this would have been an opportunity for him to make that case in an unequivocal way. Well, you know, he talks about being presidential. I mean, that was one of his big goals when he became president, that he was going to be presidential. This would be a presidential thing for him to say. Now, you know, we get these readouts on what he discussed with uh, Putin and what he said he discussed and what his press secretary says he discussed. And do you ever really feel like you're getting the full story? I know I don't. Well, so I mean, so so did he maybe say to say to Putin, look, you know, we're not going to take that, but I'm not going to say that. And and I'm not going to humiliate you that way. I think that they're from from the broader perspective to the point that both of you are trying to make that when you have the first conversation between these two world leaders since the, the publication of the redacted version of the Mueller report and you have an escalating situation in Venezuela where the U.S. and Russia are on opposing sides, it, it might have been – there might have been a better way to communicate what was said on that call. Coming up, panel stays, Luis Schiavone as well as Maddie Dupler. And you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. And remember, be sure to tune into Bloomberg this weekend for live coverage of the most exciting two minutes in sports, the 145th running of the Kentucky Derby, tomorrow, 5 p.m., right here on Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Busy day, busy week. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio Chief Washington Correspondent, here to navigate through the bevy, dizzying pace of the Friday news flow. Maddie Zuppler is a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and former Coalition's Director for the House Republican Conference, Luis Schiavone, journalist, veteran Washington journalist, and senior lecturer at John Hopkins University's Cary Business School, where she now teaches courses on crisis communications. Really the, the vantage point of all things colliding in Washington, Wall Street, and the media. Uh, Luis, this weekend is tomorrow at 5, the most exciting two minutes in sports. It's the Kentucky Derby, and we're actually going to be broadcasting it right here on Bloomberg 99.1 at 5 p.m. And uh, I was just thinking in the break, uh, you know, there was where I grew up outside of Philly and Delco, there was this annual revolving door Kentucky Derby party. And I can't tell you, I don't, I, I always think that whenever there were these block parties, I would miss the two minutes. And you're like so excited for these. Horse races, and then it's gone. So you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to listen to Bloomberg 99.1, 
at 5 p.m. and I am going to hear the Kentucky Derby and I have no idea who to root for, how to bet, but I will say there's like 19 horses and it's supposed to rain and it's going to be really muddy. Reminds me of the Democratic 2020 presidential primary. (laughs) Omaha Beach is the four to one early favorite. (laughs) Owned by Richard Mandela, Bob Baffert. Okay, but who do you like in 2020? Who who do I like in 2020? Yeah. Are you seriously asking? Yeah, it's a a great transition. transition. Christine Barada, our executive producer, is proud. This is what I think is interesting about the Democrats in 2020. Why do they keep on adding more people to the Democratic field? Because they don't believe they have a winner yet. Who's they? The Democratic Party. Yeah, pop quiz. Another person jumped into the race. Right. There was actually a Senate Democrat who wasn't running for president up until this week, if you can right. believe it. I'm just surprised. And you know what? I will go to. I will say this the whole cycle. I'm still surprised Senator Sherrod Brown didn't throw his name in. The Democrat I agree. from Ohio, especially. That's why I think maybe he should get the nomination. I'm, I'm kidding, really. But I mean, I don't know. But. Um, but I don't think the Democrats are comfortable with any of the people that they have in the field that any of the people they have in the field can be Trump because Trump Trump is still he's got his he's got his base. You know, earlier we were talking enough enough 2020 chatter, enough Kentucky Derby. You started chatter. it. I did start it. I like to cover it. I like to, you know, keep up with it. It is it is going on. We're going to acknowledge it. But there's this 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 the story that I, I, I think that we really have to keep our eye on is the situation down in Venezuela. I mean, are you following this? And now the refugee crisis with with the, the millions of refugees. This is such a long term U.S. domestic policy issue that is going to transcend either political party, no matter who occupies the White House. This situation in Venezuela with Juan Guaido, who is the National Assembly leader, he is he is backed by the Venezuelan people. He was elected in Venezuela. He is what the international community, with the exception of Russia, is recognizing. Everyone from French President Emmanuel Macron to President Donald Trump to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, to a host of other broad international coalitions are backing Guaido. They're not necessarily – and I don't want to say backing because that implies what Tulsi Gabbard would say is boots on the ground. What it means They're is – They're backing the democratic process that, yes. was, that was at play in Venezuela that has been interrupted by uh, Maduro refusing to cede power. And so this is why it matters. You've got Venezuela obviously in close geographic proximity – to the U.S. You now have millions of refugees from Venezuela. Should there ever be a war in Venezuela, that humanitarian crisis and refugee crisis would would grow exponentially. Uh, And that is going to be a situation that the U.S. will have to monitor, obviously, for decades to come. Then you have the issue of oil, which, of course, everyone knows Venezuela's oil reserves are massive. And This is such an emerging market, but no one wants to have investment right now in there. And the threat of additional sanctions uh, on the Maduro regime from the U.S. is something that is clearly impacting one of the founding members of OPEC. Beyond that, the geopolitics that are at play here, right? You've got China making a play from the technological standpoint. You've got Russia as a thorn in the side of the U.S. and just tinkering here with the perspective of the U.S. And Cuba. And then Cuba. Cuba, Cuba, Cuba. Where where do you think Maduro is going to end up? Cuba. So then you've got the Cubans, which is why, Maddie, bring us up to speed on what President Trump has done 
with Cuba in recent weeks. Well, I, I bring up Cuba because this is after years of the United States trying to pivot away from its traditional position on Cuba, which has also been viewed as a... Uh, a shift uh, in American domestic politics because Cubans, of course, tend to migrate to Florida, a state that is very important to us in our presidential elections. Uh, So I think that right now you've got uh, differing opinions or differing uh, conflicting accounts on what happened um, these last two days uh, with Maduro, whether or not Cuba and Russia told him to stay and he was on a plane ready to leave. We don't know whether or not that actually happened. The United States government, Pompeo, uh, um, uh, Secretary of State had said that this was indeed the situation on the ground. Uh, but we know that this conflict has the ability, Kevin, as you said earlier, to bleed not only into other uh, diplomatic areas the United States has been working hard at, but also if there is a refugee crisis here, and this isn't resolved in there short order. There is a order, refugee crisis. Correct. I, mean, I, I should say that if this isn't resolved in short order, which at the beginning of the week was the presumption with this kind of new uh, right. offensive from Wang uh, Guaido, that will be, of course, something that will end up at the United States border and as I well. And I just want to be, be really clear here in terms of just how nonpartisan this issue has become. There are outlier voices on this issue, including Representative Ilan Omar, the freshman congresswoman from Minnesota, as well as Representative Tulsi Gabbard, another Democrat. But um, it, it, Speaker Pelosi, Emmanuel Macron and Trump, I mean, they don't see eye to eye on anything. They see eye to eye on this. And with regards to Russia, I think the question, and when you talk to the to, to sources who are really familiar with the situation in Venezuela with Juan Guaido, it the question for Russia, which is why it makes President Trump's telephone call with Russia President Vladimir Putin today so all the more interesting, is are the Russians really – can they really afford to make a play in Venezuela? Can they really make a long-term play here or can they just make it more – you know, for lack of a better word, just be a, a mosquito. So I, so I think it's puzzling. I'm puzzled because we now have two totally different stories from the Trump administration and Trump today saying that he and Putin feel the same way and Putin's not looking to get involved. So that's different from what yeah. they said, I think, and yesterday. And it downplays, it downplays the involvement. We're going to have to leave it there, folks. Maddie Doppler, Luis Giavoni, thanks so much for hanging out with me on this Friday well, afternoon. That's fun, Kevin. Diving into the policy, it's always fun. Be sure to tune in to Bloomberg tomorrow at 5, Saturday at 5 for the Kentucky Derby. That does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.